0: Kiora, and welcome to the Ending Life Well podcast. This podcast series for carers focuses on advice and practical solutions for carers who have been thrown into the deep end, looking after a loved family member or friend in their last days, weeks, or months of life. Our episode today is Finding Meaning The Importance of Self. Hi. I'm Denise Van Elst, a senior palliative care nurse and educator at Otago Community Hospice. Today I'll be talking with Nolene Christie, a spiritual care coordinator with a background of a bachelor's in theology. Hi, Nolene.
1: Hi, Kiora.
0: Nolene, thanks for joining us today. We're wanting to talk about um, the spiritual care and the importance of self, the importance of who we are, and finding our meaning.
1: Thank you, yes. Self is so important because the world is made up of many selves. And I think the danger is if we lose self in our caring for others, which is basically what hospice and spiritual care is about, is uh, identifying that self has a high importance, high regard, and its own needs. You know, it's really easy to get lost um, in, in the caring. And,
0: you know, for both patients and for the people caring for them, you know, that meaning-making becomes really significant, doesn't it?
1: It surely does. It surely does. In hospice and a lot of New Zealand medical themes, we look at uh, a New Zealand Maori health model called Te Tapafar, And the strength of self comes out hugely in this. And it gives us permission to uh, take our eyes off others and look at ourselves. So the whole idea of the health model Tefaro Tapafa, is uh, the image of a four-walled house. We need four walls for a house to be strong. So we have um, things like the physical well-being titaha te Tinana, te the mental and emotional well-being wall titaha Henanaro, the social well-being wall titaha Fanau. And my specialty, Titaha wairua, the spiritual well-being. So self has to have all these in balance and uh, repairing or strong to carry others through this um, the journey of illness.
0: It makes sense, doesn't it,
1: Nolene? Because we have
0: those four walls around us. And if any one of those is failing, the other walls are having to kind of prop that up and support it. So we really do need to look at that holistic health, don't we? It can be really easy to get focused on the physical health um, and sometimes even the emotional health can become quite obvious
1: but actually spiritual health can maybe just get a little bit lost in there sometimes. Everyone can define spirituality quite differently and yet the whole idea its about finding meaning for who they are, why they think, why they react like they do. It's really the essence of who they are. So it's not necessarily about religion. No, a small part maybe, but not formalized religion at all. All of us have some sort of belief system in who we are, where we belong, uh, what the future looks like. Um, But yes, no, spirituality is not necessarily about faith. I have a wonderful diagram that I use a lot of an egg. And if you bury that egg up to the point where a point of an egg is sticking out of the ground, There's an awful lot of self that we don't show people. We only show them that little point. And if we think of self, the real us, how much of it do we share? And I guess, uh, depending on what's happening around us, if we're feeling strong, we might share more. But if we're feeling vulnerable, as in the case of um, helping someone else through sickness or our own sickness, we might not reveal as much.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We certainly all keep certain parts of us really quite private, and we'll share more if we're feeling safe and supported, the people around us. Um, But yeah, when we're challenged, we're going to kind of retract in a bit and pull that dirt over the top a bit more
1: almost, really, aren't we? We know the word ego. This is uh, the persona that we portray. And in that ego, we'll have our natural fears and the person that we project outwards. And I think psychologists will call that the surface mind, what, what's up there in that egg point. But it's what happens below. I was talking about um, a, a testimony of a, a sick man, and he found that through his illness journey, he learnt more about himself. And he actually said, I don't want to go back to that shallow person I was revealing. He said, I'm much more of a complete person now So I've actually explored why I really think and say what I do. We learn something from all parts of our life, really, don't we, that we keep evolving as as people. Yes, yes. yeah. Through the good and the tough. Yep, I think all life we're learning to hide certain things and uh, suddenly you get to a point where you want to be free and know that you are valued for who you are. And there's something beautiful about accepting yourself, uh, knowing that your family and community accept you for who you are, And for some, it's that finding peace um, with a higher other, whether that's God or the environment, nature themselves, you know, where do I fit in? So spirituality can have a lot of different meanings for people,
0: can't it? You just touched on that um, sense of something greater, and that's often quite a broad definition for people, that just that sense of something greater than myself. You mentioned the nature, and for me, that's my sense, being out in the bush, Uh, is that sense of something greater than me, something awe-inspiring. And there's a peace and tranquility in finding that and knowing I'm a small part of it.
1: Yes, yes, important as well and is beautiful. I had one family member say that she's going to retreat to a waterfall. That's her significant place. And so I guess, you know, where do you feel most at peace? For some people it might be just curled up in front of a fire at home. Or for another, it might be um, getting out in the bush, up in the mountains, walking along the beach. So it's a little bit about
0: looking inside ourselves and thinking, who am I and what do I need at this time?
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And what, you know, what does walking in the bush mean for you? Is it because that's something you've done with more meaningful others, such as your family or your grandparents or you know, who took you to the beach, who took you to the bush, who took you to the park? Who um, pushed you high on the swing and made you feel safe? There's some really lovely stories that go along with who we are in our spirituality. So, sometimes I would imagine, both for patients and for carers here, you know,
0: if, if we're journeying together towards somebody's end of life, then finding that space that creates that meaning for both of you could be really contributing to that special time.
1: Yes, very much so. And I think the carer must be aware that they are also an important self. So they need to know who they are and be quite honest about what they need. If they can't express that to their loved ones, then that's fine. But to be able to have a place where they can, the patients as well, you know, they've got a journey. They're probably facing uh, all those big questions too. You know, is there an eternity? Um, Is dying going to hurt? Just things that the ego of ourself is is actually trying to negotiate that whole picture of life. Sitting
0: alongside that, Nolene, for many people there may be a sense of unfinished business and that can trouble people at this time. That can have quite an impact on
1: relationships. For some people it will be conversations are permissible and for others they might want to shut that down. It's about being honest about, I would like to talk about this and give people the space to to do that. And if there's
0: a circumstance where one person feels the need to talk, but the other really doesn't want to, then it might be important to find another safe person to talk that through with.
1: Sure, and I think there's lots of people out in the community too. I mean, uh, hospice provide that service, but um, you might be able to find a local church, a minister, someone that can express that, a trusted friend. I think the person themselves will know, because it does hurt not to be able to share that intimate statement. It might be a confession. It might be a regret. You know, they come under so many little umbrellas, but they're big to the person that wants to express them. It's about being connected.
0: I'd like to acknowledge there that even if you're not part of an organised or formal religion, that still might be a place to find somebody. And uh, I remember when I was in um, Girl Guides, that um, I was required for a certain badge that I was going for to have a discussion with a minister um, about my own um, origins and, and meaning of life, really. And he was a great guy that knew that I came from no formal background. But we had a really, really great conversation that, you know, 40 years later, I can still remember the basic tenets of that conversation, because he was able to be open and honest with me um, and really helped me through that time. So even if, you know, religion is not a part of your everyday life, that still might be a source that you could go to, to have a talk if you're needing to talk something
1: through. That's right. And even when I walk into a patient's room, I will ask questions that aren't uh, particularly faith directive, but little leadings because uh, a lot of the generations we're dealing with now have had Sunday school and they might never have engaged with that faith as an adult. But sometimes these little questions that are running around, they would like answered. So I just almost put it out there and if they want to pick it up, um, we pick it up, otherwise it, it just gets left as a not important. That's a big part of your role, isn't it,
0: is allowing people to speak about what they need to speak about.
1: Yes, it's very individual,
0: yeah. yeah. Certainly when someone's facing the end of life, for some that's a time of great meaning and a need to talk.
1: Um, others
0: may be really comfortable that through their life they've said everything they need to say and actually simply being is all they need.
1: Being in your presence, I visited one patient and I started to talk to her and she burst into tears and I thought, what have I done wrong here? And when she composed herself, she said, thank you. She said, my visits are really about my body, the obvious wall of of pain. She said, but you're the first person that's asked about me and my story and my cares outside my body. And uh, we struck up a wonderful friendship after that, just knowing that I was hearing her and caring about what she was worried about. Being heard is so vital. Yep, we've all got a story. (laughs) I certainly find myself encouraging people to write down their story for the next generations. I really encourage that. Patients were at peace when they died because they'd got down their story that they needed down. Even if they weren't physically there, their experiences were recorded, the questions or the decisions they had to make in life were validated, and they really were at peace because they weren't going to be forgotten just because they weren't going to be present anymore.
0: Which is really quite a big part of this finding or making meaning, isn't it? Because you're making meaning of your life when you record down those key things, and it might be decisions you may that you're not proud of. It might be, you know, actions that you've taken that you are proud of, but it's all part of the whole. And, you know, we hope that others might learn from our lives.
1: Yes, part of spiritual care is trying to tie the environment, the home, and some of those experiences to my patient. And I started to consider the idea that our lives ripple along. One, we're bumping into other people's ripples. You know, there are influences on our life So I wrote this little poem and it calls A Ripple Begins. A baby is born, a ripple begins, in the pool of life. Each challenge, its answer, each step, each fall. The ripple gets wider and stronger. Softly the ripple ebbs with others, relationships, memories, losses and goals. Dancing in the light, searching for its place. The pond edge is nearing. The wake of life bumps to the shore, the circles chase and gather, the ripple ends. That's
0: beautiful, Nolene. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. And actually, when we start those ripples, none of us have any idea where they'll go.
1: No, again, that's part of the mystery, isn't it, or the sacredness of each person's life. And I think we just have to validate that everyone has value everyone's on a journey that's specific to them and I might deal with a patient but then the carers also have their story and in some cases caring for someone can cause huge changes in someone's life or direction, they stop, you know life might just actually pause and it's all about the patient so it's about finding momentum again and finding purpose and having that energy to keep moving forward. I've noticed
0: over the years that um, as a nurse that it's often the time in those um, caring for somebody who is dying is harder to be the carer than it is to be the patient Um, and it seems to me to be for a couple of reasons that one that when we see somebody we love suffering in any way we would rather it was us than them. And the patient gets that wish. They don't have to watch their loved ones suffer. They have to watch them grieve, but not physical suffering. But also for the patient, there is an end point, whereas for the carer, they have to get through this, but they also have to envisage that life beyond, that next step. And that's another challenge.
1: Yep, definitely, definitely. From what I see, it's often the patients are the ones that accept this diagnosis. They are minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, going through the physical changes that their body is showing them as it slowly winds down but you're quite right for the family that are looking on they're thinking about a whole lot of other things and probably more about what does it look like after you know so so they they're actually living through a dread or a worry today when uh, they really should just be enjoying the moment of savoring what is happening right now with their loved one. Certainly speaking with people later, they reflect back on this time that is so hard, but is also very, very special. It's very tender, especially if you get to the point where uh, your loved one is uh, bedridden and you're the one bringing in daily information because the person in in bed is uh, disconnected from their environment, disconnected from a lot of their friends. And so you become the light in that room for them you become the contact with the outside world and when the only thing you've got to offer is your voice as as in the patient uh, a lot of things will come out and there'll be laughter and there'll be tears but both are very valid and it comes to me that there's a lot of real honesty in those moments i would like to think there's honesty in those moments We all want genuine contact with others, don't we? That's what you will look forward to, the fact that someone will be real with you. And there is often a lot of
0: humour in those points as well. You know, some memories of times gone past and people are often surprised to hear laughter at the hospice. But actually, there's a lot of living happens there.
1: Yeah, it's living and reliving, isn't it? So no, I think we've got to remember that our patients and ourselves are physical and we have this uh, the whole idea of the five senses. So if it's the hearing sense, is silence in there when you um, go to visit them? Or do they want song or conversation or loud music? Are there certain smells you like? Do they like the look of candles glowing or do they not want candles? You know, there's so many things that just trigger Memories If candles bring good memories. Bring candles in if there's a scent they love or flowers they love. Bring them in if it's pine trees, that whole smell of the pine oil. Bring it in. Everyone's got a story, and there'll be things that trigger good memories.
0: And animals are a part of that. You know, I often encourage people to bring pets in. You know, if the cat's always slept on the bed, then let the cat sleep on the bed. You know, um, dogs. We've we've had many different pets visiting at hospice. Um, and it's wonderful to have them there. And it's often important, I think, for animals to have an understanding when somebody dies.
1: Another thing I was thinking of is that the dying are grieving, and so are the terrors before people die. And I heard a lovely saying the other day that grief is love, looking for a place to live. And I was thinking, you know, if, if someone's dying and, and they're grieving, they still want to love. They're still reaching out. Mm.
0: Grief is love, looking for a place to live. I like that that's
1: really special mm. yeah, and I think uh throughout this whole process, what we're trying to do is find peace with that greater being, greater place uh that greater sense, peace with community, peace with ourselves, and um in doing that, we find meaning for our journey. Seek out what it is, look within, look without to find. What it
0: is that you need to help fill that up for you.
1: Yes, I was talking to a a lady who'd lost her mum, and she said, The desire was that my mum would die at home. And so they were pushing and they'd arranged the ambulance to transfer from hospital. But she said, I touched my mum and I realised that that hurt her. So she said, I'm not putting her in an ambulance to take her home. And I congratulated her because I said, You know, there was a will to die at home, but actually that would have been cruel. And I said to her, you, you know, you made a wonderful decision there for your mum. And you were all together. It didn't really make any difference. But mum was happier where she was. Surrounded by the people who love her. By the people that love her, yeah. That connectedness to others. That's what home means, usually. That's right. <laughs> a mother with her children doesn't matter where they are, as long as they're with her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. From the carer's point of view, they don't know what dying feels like. And they don't know what the dying person is. Is really thinking unless those honest conversations come and I would just really encourage them to open the door with a conversation saying if there's anything you want to talk about you know just just tell me you'd like to talk it really is a special time because it will never come back and I think ultimately we want to let our loved ones move on to death with everything said and no regrets it's just a really beautiful time of sharing and understanding and just caring for that other just to encourage them and know that we're here uh, for them whatever they want to talk about we'll be here.
0: That's lovely. Nolene thank you thank you very much for joining us today and thank you listeners for joining us as well. This podcast series was brought to you by Otago Community Hospice with support from Hospice New Zealand. If you found this discussion helpful check out our other episodes of Ending Life Well a podcast series for carers. You can also find more resources for caring for a person who's dying on otagohospice.co.nz forward slash
1: education.